0: Well, our scripture reading for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 13. We are continuing and drawing uh, very close to the end of our study in the book of Philippians. So, hear the word of our Lord. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, for your love for us. Uh, We pray that you would speak to us now, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, uh, through your word, uh, we pray that that you would soften our hearts, that you would make us attentive to you and your grace for us. Uh, we pray that you would just be at work even now, um, that you would help us to see Jesus and to make much of Him and to see that He really is enough. In Christ's name, we come. Amen. Well, this morning, Paul, um, writing from prison, potentially facing death, he begins the end of his letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, He thanks them, as we just read, for their gift to him, for supporting him, for helping him pay his rent um, in the place where he's imprisoned. And Paul's thankful to the Philippian church for them, for their love that they have in Jesus, not just that they're caring for their own needs, as he wrote about earlier, but they're caring for him. He expresses his gratitude that they're growing in their love for and their trust in Jesus. And then the great father and the great pastor that Paul is He moves to focusing on contentment because he wants to continue to model for them and for us um, in the midst of of their struggles, in the midst of our struggles. Uh, We know from chapter 1, verse 30, that that the Philippian church is going through the same struggle that Paul is going through. Paul's being opposed. um, He's in prison for sharing the good news about Jesus. He's struggling financially. Um, He's facing death even for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul turns to contentment. And we have to ask why. Well, it's because contentment was as rare in Paul's day uh, as it is for us today. Um, Paul wants his readers, Paul wants us to not just know, but to believe, to rest in, to trust in the reality that Jesus really is enough for us. Uh, When I was in college, one of my mentors, um, Len Teague, used to ask us in his small group to pray regularly um, his prayer request was that Jesus would be enough for him. Um, why, would, why would we need to pray that? Why should we all pray that? Well, I think it's because deep down, if we're honest, we don't actually believe that that's true. We don't actually believe that Jesus is enough for us. We're constantly setting our hearts on things other than him to make us happy, to be satisfied, uh, to feel like we're enough, to be content. Um, it could be our jobs, it could be making more money, it could be getting that promotion or that vacation or getting that relationship or getting that to that next stage, whether it's graduating or whatever it is. Um, that's where our hearts really lie, where we think we're going to find enough. Um, the Today Show this week had a psychotherapist on. Her name was Nero Feliciano, and she was talking about the idea of contentment. And she says, in this world, we're told in order to be happy, we need to do more, have more, and be more. That happiness is, is having everything that you want. And this definition of happiness um, is really what's stressing us all out because we realize that we're not getting there. And even if we do get there, it's not enough. Um, she says something really helpful. She says, it's, contentment is finding joy in the journey. And she goes on and she starts talking about this thing called the arrival fallacy, which is what we kind of just mentioned, but it's, it's this. It's, it's when I get here, when this happens, when, when this thing happens, then I'll be happy. And it starts really early for us. You know, when you're in middle school, all you want to do is be in high school. Um, when you're in high school, all you want is to get your license and then to get to, to graduate and to go to college. And then it's to get married, and then it's to have kids, and then it's to have this job, and then it's to have this vacation, and then it's to get this promotion, and then it's this tax bracket, and then it's this car. When I have this stuff, then I'll be happy. It's always looming out there, and we can't wrap our hands around it. But when we actually get what we think our hearts desire most, when we, we think what's gonna bring us satisfaction, when we actually lay our arms around it, we realize it's not enough. It doesn't really satisfy us. And then this, this psychotherapist, she had a graphic up, and she said this, that the, the graphic said, happiness is having everything that you want, and contentment is wanting everything that you have. Um, it was an interesting graphic. I think when it comes to material possessions, it may be helpful, um, but what about when it comes to suffering? What about when it comes to pain and, and the difficulties in our lives? We don't want, we don't aspire to those things. We don't say those things are good. And that's what Paul is speaking into here and correcting with his version of contentment in our passage here. Uh, contentment, according to the Stoic philosophers of Paul's day, it meant self-sufficiency. And, the, and Stoicism celebrated the one who becomes an independent man sufficient to himself and in need of no one else who by the power of his own will is able to resist the, the forces of circumstances. Seneca, a famous Stoic philosopher, said this, the happy man is content with his present lot no matter what it is and is reconciled to his circumstances. Sounds a lot like what Paul is talking about here, if we're honest, until you realize that how, how the Stoics want you to get there. Um, It comes by exercising reason over emotion that the, the Stoic learns to be content. It comes through emotional detachment. Paul, Jesus, the scriptures as a whole, they never call us to emotional detachment. Pain, suffering, our trials, our difficulties, they're real. And we don't dismiss them, we don't minimize them. Um, But then the psychotherapist on the Today Show, she offers this as her hope. She says this, contentment lies in yourself. You have the power to control it. You can control your emotions and your moods. So you can't control your circumstances, but you can control how you respond. And if we're honest, it sounds a little bit like modern-day Stoicism, doesn't it? Um, As long as you you follow the right techniques, you can become self-sufficient and you can fix the problem. But the reality is, you and I know that's not true. We can't fix the problem. The goal for the disciple of Jesus is not to become self-sufficient, downplaying our suffering, going, oh, cancer's not that bad. Um, Being persecuted isn't a big deal. The suffering and the pain that I feel from my relationships and from my friends and my family, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Paul spins this, this contentment, as this self-sufficiency on its head, and he says that the goal for the disciple of Jesus is not to be self-sufficient, but to be Christ-sufficient, to be God-sufficient. We depend on Jesus for everything and in everything. It's not reason over detached emotions. It's faith triumphing over all. The answer's not in ourselves. It's in Jesus alone. So this morning, we're just going to look at three things briefly from the text. Um, We're going to see the problem of contentment. We're going to look at the process of contentment and the secret of contentment. So first, the problem of contentment. Well, Paul wouldn't be addressing this issue of contentment um, if he didn't think it was an issue for his readers in Philippi. In verse 12, he says this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Why does Paul call it a secret? Because contentment isn't easy. Contentment isn't something that, we, that just comes naturally to us. It, it's something we all struggle with. It's something that we're searching for in everything. It's something we're searching for everywhere, and it's elusive. Tim Keller says it this way. He says that we have to admit that we're incapable of contentment, and if we don't start there, we won't ever be capable of contentment. You know, why might he say that? because it's not something that is natural for us. It's not something that we're built with. It's not something that we're, that's ingrained in us. Contentment isn't easy to find. Uh, there's this deep longing that resides in all of our hearts that we're searching for satisfaction. We're searching for enoughness, but it can't be filled with anything that we try to put in that, in that hole. Um, but it doesn't stop us from trying. We try endlessless to fill that void with some sort of purpose or satisfaction. We think, again, if only I made this amount of money, if, if we made this much money, then we'll be okay. If this person likes me, then I'll be okay. Um, if, if only, you know, we got into, into this school, if only we made this team, if only I got this promotion. Whatever it is where it's, if only I had that, then I'll be okay that's what our hearts are deeply longing for we we buy into this arrival fallacy and we think you know if if only i get this if only this happens then i'll be okay but again we're back to that question we brought up earlier what if you actually get what you want what if you actually get your heart's deepest longings and desires are you okay then odds are you're probably not, you probably still find that it isn't enough, that the goalposts have moved, that you need more and more and more. Um, I heard another pastor once say, being unhappy is a universal human condition. It's something that we all wrestle with. Uh, We can be in the greatest of places, surrounded by the best people, in the best relationships, and we want to be somewhere else. We want to be with someone else, or we want to be someone else. You know, we have like emotional FOMO. Uh, We're afraid we're missing out on something that might be better, that might be more fun, that might be more satisfying. And that's even in the best of circumstances. So what about when you're hurting? What about when you're anxious? What about when you're suffering and you're struggling? What if you're sick, or you're discouraged, or you're depressed? Contentment doesn't just seem difficult in those circumstances. It seems impossible. You know, we say things like, that's for other people. It's not for me. Look at what I'm going through. Look at what's happening to me. Look Look at my life. It's God has abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. God has left me. He's punishing me even. You see it, right? Contentment, it's elusive. It's foreign to us. So we can either continue to look for it in other things, we can look for satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment, or we can just give up. And we can just say, you know, I've tried all this, I've searched, I can't find it, I'm not looking for anything good or better, I'm just going to become cynical and I'm just going to stop. I'm going to harden my heart to, to this part of, of my life that's longing for better, I'm going to kill that part of me, and I'm just going to stop. You know, our hearts Are really noisy, aren't they? You know, we're constantly telling ourselves, you need this, or or, what about this? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? We're constantly looking for relief and for contentedness and quiet in the midst of our regret, in the midst of our hopes and our hurts and our fears and our anxieties. You know, many of us, we've been shaped to expect comfort in, in this life, but look at the last two years. It's really disrupted that. And, and for some of us in this room, we've been shaped not to expect comfort, but to expect pain and to expect disappointment and to expect chaos and confusion in our lives. So, what hope is there for us? Paul here says that contentment isn't connected to our circumstances. Paul stresses here that, that his contentment doesn't increase and it doesn't decrease based on, on his material provisions. You know, more stuff won't bring him more satisfaction and, and neither will less stuff. Um, but for a lot of us, we think that maybe just a change in our circumstances, that's going to bring us the satisfaction that we're longing for. But, you know, if, if we actually get what we want, as we said earlier, it's not going to solve our contentment problem. Paul says here in this text, he's learned the secret in every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want, or, or in need or in plenty, he says. Paul's talking in response to his material possessions, what you know, well-fed and hungry, having enough to eat and to be full, or not having enough to meet his needs, being able to pay his bills, or not being able to pay his bills. But it's not just in regards to his physical life here. In need, if you look in verse 12, it means to be humbled. Um, and, And to have plenty means to prosper. Being humbled means to lose prestige or status, to be humiliated. Paul knows this humiliation. He knows pain and suffering well. Remember where he's writing from. He's writing from prison, and he's facing death. So contentment doesn't mean the absence of pain for us. Paul's not seeking to be apathetic. He's not seeking to be emotionally detached. He knows what it is to be abused. He knows what it is to be beaten, to be shipwrecked, to to be homeless, to, to, to be neglected. And he wants the Philippians, he wants us to see that contentment doesn't come from our circumstances. You know, we have to ask ourselves, what would it take for you to actually be content? You know, would it be a spouse? Would it be a new spouse? Would it be children? Would it be different children or uh, different parents? Um, would it be a new house? You know, would it be a new city, a new church, a new pastor preaching to you? Um, you know, would it be that car or that vacation home? Or what, what is it? What would make you content? Paul wants us to see this morning that contentment doesn't come from those things. It's not connected to our circumstances. It can come in poverty. It can come in affluence. It can come with power and prestige, or it can come with humiliation and no status and poverty. You know, without becoming a stoic, how can we follow Jesus and not allow our circumstances to dictate our contentment? How can we say with Paul, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation? This is where we we shift briefly to to the process of contentment. Uh, Paul says again in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. We need to see this morning that contentment is learned. It doesn't happen all at once. It, come, it doesn't come through like updating an app in our hearts like we do on our phones where all of a sudden it's just going to work. Um, it doesn't get downloaded to us through the matrix where all of a sudden we can do kung fu and be content. Um, it, it doesn't come through hearing a sermon. You're not going to leave this place going, I know what it means to be content today. Um, that's not going to happen. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. It comes through a lifetime of ups and downs. It only happens in the laboratory of life experience that provides continuous opportunities for us to learn this attitude of contentment. Contentment isn't zapped into your hearts in just an instant. It's not even learned in just a single crisis. Um, Paul, again, knew what it was like to, to have abundance. He knew what it meant to be full, to rub shoulders with the elite. He knew what it was to have hardship. What it meant to be understood and hungry and thirsty and homeless and beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and lacking clothes and sleeping out in the cold. Contentment is a learned process that's exposed in times of need and in times of plenty where we're regularly struggling to believe that Jesus really is enough for us. In times of plenty and in prosperity, or or affluence even. um, We still are going to struggle with contentment. Um, You know, we might wrestle with greed and wanting more and acquiring more. We might wrestle with pride and self-sufficiency, thinking that just we're so great because we've accomplished so much, and we look down on people who haven't come as far as we have. You know, we might struggle to have misplaced trust in ourselves or in the things around us. And we might be tempted to, to deny God even, to put our place, put ourselves in the place of God, to, to thump our chest like Tom Hanks in Castaway and say, see, I have made fire. Like we might look at what we're doing and think we're the best. Um, we might be bent so bent on acquiring more and more that we miss out on the good gifts, that we miss out on the relationships around us and we sacrifice them on the altar of pursuing contentment and satisfaction in our work. It might make us stingy and selfish, thinking you know, we can't be generous, we can't share, because then there's not going to be enough for me. Or we might actually get everything that we hope and dream for, and we find out that it's not enough, that we still have the same problems, that we still are discontent, we still have the same longings, we're still left unsatisfied. And it also, it's exposed in times of poverty. You know, there are tests and there are struggles for those who who don't have as much as well. You know, we might be tempted to to greed there also, trying to lie or to manipulate or to steal to get more. We can wrestle with envy that the grass is always greener over there. If only I didn't have these problems, if I didn't have these bad things. And so instead of being ruled by what we actually have, we're ruled by what we lack there. Contentment isn't dictated by our circumstances, Paul says. Because all circumstances, good and bad, expose our lack of contentment. So what's the secret? Paul tells us the secret of contentment in verse 13. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's not a private secret, it's an open secret. And Paul says, here it is. Christian contentment is rooted in our relationship with Christ. It flows from our union and our communion with Jesus. Now, if you've been around the church at all in your life, you probably know that this is like the most taken out of context verse ever, um, like in the history of the Bible. Um, there's a, a quote in the front of your bulletin that says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Um, that this is like one of the most misapplied passages here in the Bible. Um, Paul isn't making a categorical and a comprehensive statement here. He's not saying, you know, I can break these chains and I can beat up these guards and I can sprint out of this prison with, uh, with the speed of an Olympic gold medalist through Jesus who gives me strength. Um, this verse is often used to inspire people. Um, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to as long as Jesus helps you. Um, now, looking at me, I can't dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim no matter how much I believe this verse, no matter how much I apply this verse, I'm always going to be a chubby kid who can't jump higher than like an inch off the ground. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't have to do with my lack of faith in Jesus. It has to do with my gifts and my ability um, and my talent, Um, so all things in this verse, you know, in this passage, it has to be governed by the context surrounding this verse. And the verse in front of you, you have the NIV translation in front of you. The verse says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What's the all this? What is Paul talking about? It's, it's exactly what he was just talking about in the previous verses. It's every situation and circumstance. It's plenty and it's want It's being humbled, and it's it's prospering. It's terrible circumstances, and it's great ones. How can Paul say that he's learned the secret of contentment? It's because Paul's learned through pain and through suffering, through good things and bad things, that Jesus really is enough. C.J. Mahaney says it this way. He said, Paul learned the secret because he learned to give attention to his Savior. Paul learned to not let his circumstances, whether they're good or they're bad, have the loudest voice in his heart. He's not preoccupied with his circumstances. He's preoccupied with Jesus. This is the secret for us, that when we we take our eyes and our hearts off of our circumstances, not minimizing them, not saying, not ignoring them, But when they don't have the loudest voice in our head and our hearts, and we take the focus off of ourselves and we apply it to Jesus, that's when we begin to learn the secret of contentment. Um, Great theologian Jeff Gordon, uh, the NASCAR driver, he, he says this, it really helps us. He says, either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. So the question for us this morning is are we preoccupied with our circumstances? or are we preoccupied with Jesus? Because either we focus on Jesus and we can begin to endure with contentment, or we're going to crash into the wall of discontentment and complaining and distrust and the lies around us. Paul has become, and he encourages us this morning, to be preoccupied with Jesus To let his love and his favor rule us. To know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To remember that he's with us, that he's for us. And if we're his, we're secure in him no matter what happens. And again, this doesn't minimize our trials or our suffering or our pain that we're in the midst of or that you will be in the midst of soon. We're called to war against those things. We're called to fight against them. But we can rejoice even. And we can find contentment in the midst of them. We don't say that they're good, but we can find, re- we can find contentment and we can rejoice because the God of the universe loves us. Because Jesus has died for us and he's risen again and he promises that he really is enough. We have the promise that, that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again, and he promised that he will return, and he'll set the whole world to rights. It doesn't mean that everything is going to work out for us this side of heaven until Jesus comes back, but it does mean that Jesus is coming, that he promises to return, and he promises to undo all that's broken, all that's sad. He's going to right every wrong and injustice. He's going to be so close to us that he's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes, and he's going to rid this world once and for all from sin and sickness and pain and suffering and death and tears. It's coming. It's coming, and we have faith in the God who's faithful, who keeps his promises, and because he's kept them in the past, we can have confidence that he will keep them in the future. So when we rest in Jesus and in his promises, when we take our eyes off of ourselves and place our focus solely on Jesus, that's where contentment is going to begin to take root. As an aside, our difficulties, our tragedies, our suffering, and our pain, they're not to be welcomed. They're not to be enjoyed. We fight against them, and we long for God's kingdom to come in every nook and cranny of our lives and in his universe As Christians, we don't despair in our suffering and say nothing good can come from this. And we don't embrace our suffering feeling that like we're more noble or virtuous because of our pain. But we don't need to fear life. We don't need to fear our circumstances, good or bad. We can face them with confidence. We can face them with contentment because we have a God that Romans tells us who works all things for good. This is who our God is and this is what he's always been about. And you look at Joseph, his brothers sell him into slavery, and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You look at the the people of Israel in Exodus, and God rescues them from slavery and makes them his people. And you look at at Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he knows he's going to raise him from the dead, but he doesn't minimize the pain of death. Instead, he screams out through ugly, snot-filled tears, because of the pain that he and his friends are experiencing. But we can have confidence and contentment knowing that God will work through all things. Johnny Erickson Tata um, is a, a, a Christian paraplegic who suffered great loss and great tragedy in her life. And she says this God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves, God can. God is and will take all that is broken and all that is sad, and He promises He's going to undo it. The most evil thing that ever happened on the face of this world, uh, the thing that if I were standing at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus breathe His last, would have given up all hope, would have said, This life is hopeless. We have no, there's no point in going on. Jesus is dead. What good can come of this? But God used the greatest tragedy. And the greatest evil in this world to, to transform it and to change it and to bring resurrection and to bring life and to change the whole trajectory of life on this earth through Jesus' death and suffering on the cross. So if God can take Jesus' death on the cross and he can bring something good out of it, and he can bring resur- resurrection out of it, God can take the suffering that, that you and I experience day in and day out, and he can use it for his good. And that can lead us to contentment, knowing that Jesus has us and that he loves us. We may not know why, we may not understand, but we have this promise that our God promises to love us and to be with us and to never leave us. Have you ever heard of of the law of diminishing returns? Something you learn in an economics class uh, early on in life. Um, in high school or college. It means this. It means the more you get of something, the, the less effect it has on you long term. The more money you get, uh, the more you need, you, the more you think you need to be okay. The more that we drink, the more that we need to feel those same effects, the more pleasure we experience, the more numb we become to it, and the more we need to, to be satisfied the, the law of diminishing returns is true about everything in this life except for Jesus. When we're turning to anything other than Jesus for life or satisfaction or fulfillment or contentment, we're making that thing an idol. That thing is, is the most important thing to us. We're loving that thing more than Jesus because deep down we don't think Jesus is enough. What all of our hearts need is what Thomas Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. We need to see Jesus this morning—His love for us, His grace, His favor, His faithfulness, His His commitment to us, the life that He offers, His presence and His very per- person—as more beautiful than anything else that we can get our hands and our minds and our hearts around. And when we actually begin to trust in, and to see Jesus as enough and see him as the most beautiful thing in our lives, it's only then that despite whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, that we'll begin to to follow him in contentment, that we'll begin to see and say with Paul, I've learned the secret of contentment, that whether in plenty or in want, despite whatever is going on in my life, because Jesus has me, because he's with me, Because he loves me and he's for me. I can be content in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy towards us. We thank you that your word is true, that we can trust it. Uh, We pray that you would sink it down deep into our lives. That we would begin to trust you. That we would begin to lay hold of the promises that you have for us of your grace and your mercy towards us. Um, As we come to this table and lay hold of Christ's body and blood broken for us, may it fill us. May it be enough for us to transform us into those who love and serve you, who know that you love us because you've served us through Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, We pray that you would meet with us, that you would fill us, that you would satisfy us even at this table this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.